Okay, so I've kind of had my worst nightmare happen to me. I have uh, had a terrible allergy attack yesterday that has carried over into today, and uh, that's always kind of been my worst fear, that I would stand up here and, and snort and sneeze and snot in front of all of you guys, and uh, it's kind of become reality today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like the old school evangelist, and we got my little hanky here, I'm going to lay it up here. And I guess to go fully in, i got to take off my watch, right? Lay it up here on the pulpit. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there, right? I'm not going to use this to blot my head, though. You know what I mean? Like, they're usually sweating and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be for my nose if I need that. So, uh, <laughs> we believe in transparency here at Simple Church, don't we? Maybe to a fault. Maybe we're a little too transparent. But anyway, that's okay. We're all human in here, aren't we? Anybody that's not human, raise your hand. All right, good. I, there's one guy back there that's going like, oh, that's not me, yeah. <laughs> Some of y'all do wonder about whether or not you're human or not. but um, So I am, I'm tickled to death about the fact that we are starting a new series. I didn't anticipate us starting a new series, uh, but it's actually uh, our band started this series for us, our, our worship team. Uh, I'm so thankful for Kayla and her leadership and the fact that she follows the leadership of the Holy Spirit and as God leads her to do something that she just follows that leadership of the Holy Spirit and um, you know last week we, we jumped to Luke chapter 15 we didn't anticipate being there we anticipated being in Galatians God kind of that that song just drew something out in us you know where he leaves the 99 he goes after the one and I felt like I needed to explain that because that was heavy on my heart and uh and that's, where we, that's why we jumped into Luke chapter 15. So I felt like we needed to continue in Luke chapter 15 because I could not get this off my mind. I could not stop right here. I had to, to continue on. Um, as much as I was tempted to go back to Galatians, I felt like we needed to just come back right here. So that's where we're going to be again today. It's going to be in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 8. Um, but before we go there, I wanted to tell you about just kind of... So I, I spend some time just thinking a little bit, right? So I think about the glory of God. I think about what God's trying to show us. I think about how God has revealed himself to us. And uh, I started thinking about it, you know? And I, I was with a couple of my guys on, on Saturday morning, and we were talking, and, and we were sharing, and, and we were looking at God's word, and we were talking about things. And, you know, I said, I said this, you know, I said, we often wonder, why, why did God ever have to put that tree in the garden to begin with? Why did there have to be that temptation to begin with? I mean, like, and, and if you take a step back even further than that, you might even go, guys, you might say this, why do you have to put that woman in our lives? You know what I mean? Like, if it wouldn't have been for her, if it wouldn't have been for her, <laughs> Mark's shaking his head, he's like, I know, I know what you're saying. If it wouldn't have been for her, then, then we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had her go into the garden and, and her go and be, be tempted by Satan and Satan to confuse her and her get God's words all twisted up, man. She's the one that kind of messed us all up and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So we, we think about that, and we think about why did the garden have to be there? Why have, I mean, we had perfection, you know? We had it going on really well. We had uh, this, this eternal bliss in the presence of God, walking with God. Everything was good. And, and then all of a sudden, man, there's this temptation, and then we fall into sin. All of creation falls into sin all at one time. Because we rebelled against God. We said, I know more than God, therefore I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to do something that is in rebellion to, to God by going and, and eating of the fruit that I'm not supposed to eat of. And what happens? All of mankind falls into sin. All Sin enters into the world. 
death, destruction, allergies, they all enter into the world at the same time, right? <laughs> if it wasn't been for the stinking tree, I wouldn't be snotting up here on y'all. You know what I mean? Like, but I got to thinking about it, you know? And I was like, why, 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 why? So, so, so when we were talking on Saturday morning at, at 6.30, and we were talking about God, and we were talking about these things, I was like, you know, if it hadn't have been for sin, if it hadn't have been for this, uh, this temptation that was there and the fact that we fell into sin, then there would, there would have been an incomplete picture of love there, right? So we had love, we had God, we had a walk with God, and, and it was true, but, but we, we, we didn't have the complete picture yet. There was one thing that we were missing to this picture. See, at that point in time, we met all the conditions. We, we, were, we were perfect. There was no sin in the world. Therefore, we met all the conditions. Well, this word agape love is what popped into my mind. Agape love is not just love where you, you, you really have this affection for somebody or you really care about somebody. It is an unconditional love. It means that you don't meet all the conditions. And had we not fallen into sin, had temptation not been there, and we fallen into sin, then we, you and I, would have no knowledge, no understanding, no concept of agape love. It's when we don't meet all the conditions. And how could we not meet all the conditions? Well, we had to have sin in order for us to get into this place for us to not meet all the conditions. So if you will pause for just a minute and you will think for just a second, you can even see that sin even glorifies God. The fact that sin entered into the world and sin was there, that, that, that we, because we are human, we sin, then God shows his agape love, our, his unconditional love for us by sending his son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for that sin. See, he looks at us and says, there's no way, there's no way they can do it. But I want to show them my love, and I want to show it even more abundantly than they can possibly imagine. And I'm going to give them forgiveness for their sin. And then what else happens? What else happens in the garden? There's this strife that's between man and woman, right? There's this, there's this tension that's all of a sudden developed between man and woman. And, and that's what happens when sin enters into the world. And the, the tension uh, goes on beyond just man and woman. It goes on when they have kids, and the kids, they have tension with one another. Cain and Abel being a perfect example, right? There, there, there's a struggle there. There's tension there. There's sin there. there. There's a problem there. So what does God tell us through his son, Jesus Christ? He says, you know what? I'm showing that agape love. I'm showing that perfect love for you by sending my son to be an ambassador of grace to you. By showing you that you need me. It's a dependence on God. And that's what God is trying to show us over and over and over again. It's how desperately we need him. And do you know that the only way, the only way for you to have the unforgivable sin, do you know what the unforgivable sin is? For you to constantly reject that grace. For you constantly to reject the Holy Spirit. For you to constantly reject and say, I don't need God. That's the unforgivable sin. And God is trying to show us over and over and over again, this agape love, this perfect love, this unconditional love is there for you, but you have to say, I need that. I need that. And then when you receive that, when you become a, a, a recipient of that grace, then God, what does God tell you to be? He says, go and be an ambassador of that grace to everybody else. You know that strife that was between man and woman and, and brother and sister and, and the children there? You know, go and you show grace. 
You be an ambassador of grace. You be an, an ambassador of love. They will know you by how you love. They will know you by how you unconditionally love. They'll know that you're one of mine because you've got a love that's just like mine. And I mean, all these thoughts are running through my head. And I go, the whole point, the whole point is that we need you, God. We need you. We have to have you. Apart from you, we can do nothing good. We have to have, we have to be recipients of that unconditional love, that agape love. So love took on a whole new perspective, didn't it? It's not that they just were living in this perfect unity with God and they were fellowshipping with God, but they, they lived without sin and therefore they, they met all the conditions. And now all of a sudden, sin has entered into the world and God has said, I'm going to love you anyway. And love took on a whole new, another meaning, right? And even from the very beginning, even from the very beginning, from the very first time that, that God encountered the serpent in the garden, he says, he says man, there's, there's going to be a time when, when you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And he's talking about his son, Jesus Christ, who would ultimately set everything right, that would ultimately bring us back into that relationship with God. And that's what's going on. I mean, when you look at the Bible, that's what you see going on, right? And then at the time when Jesus enters into the scene, what is the problem there? What's going on? Well, the Pharisees have gotten to this point where, you know what they've said? We don't need God. We have no need for God. We are able to obtain the righteousness of God by the way that we live, the things that we do, the way that we dress, and all this kind of stuff. And we are perfectly clean, and we have done all the things that God says, says that we're supposed to do. Therefore... We're good, right? We have this perfect relationship with God because of what we have done. And God said, no, the whole point is that you've got to rely on me for you to be good. And you are relying on you to be good. Therefore, you're not having that relationship with me. You're missing out on the biggest part of love, which is that agape, unconditionally met love. And God's screaming this through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees are just not listening. They're just not listening. You see... The biggest kind of problem we have, you know, this is, this is reality. Let me tell you something for just a second. I, I believe that the biggest kind of problem that we have in this world today is not racism, separation of people, uh, people because of their, their race, their skin color, all that kind of junk. It's not sexism because a man's a man, a woman's a woman. That's really not the, the biggest kind of discrimination we got going on in the world. You ever thought about this for a second? What's the biggest thing we got going on in the world? It's usually us looking down at somebody else, right? Because the way they dress, the way they act, the things they've done, looking at their past, looking at the sin in their life and going, man, look how bad you are. I want you to know something right now. That if, if, if that is your mentality, when, when, when you... When you are encountered by somebody, if that is something that is on your mind or on your heart, look at how much they have done, look at how bad they are, look at this, look at that, then you're in complete contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're in complete contradiction to the whole agape love thing that he's trying to convey to us every single day. And that's exactly what the Pharisees fell into. Man, look at how I dress, look at how I act, look at the things I do. I fast this day, I give this much. And then look at you. 
Look how far you've fallen short. There's no reason for me to even associate with you. I'm not going to eat with you. I'm not going to be around with you because you are unclean and you might make me unclean. So therefore, I am not going to be around you. And that is the way that the Pharisees looked at things. And that is the reason that Jesus would look at them and say, you brood of vipers. You vipers, man. You're just spewing venom out of your mouth with the things that you say and the things that you do. You think that you're of God, and really, you're the opposite. You're not of God because God has continually shown us that we need to be ambassadors of grace because he was the very first ambassador of grace as he poured it out on us. And that, that's the problem. And, and let me tell you something. that we've, We can fall into that. We can fall into that in a heartbeat. And we look at somebody else and what they've done and how they've messed up. And we say, man, thank God I am not like them. You know that that's what the Pharisees used to say. Thank God I'm not like that wretched sinner over there. And, and, and this is a, a terrible condition for the church to be in. This is a terrible condition for Christians to be in. It's the worst possible place, in my opinion. A place when we're looking down on other people. And that makes us just like the stinking Pharisees that Jesus came to rebel against. He said, man, no, I came to restore sight to the blind. I came to preach good news to the poor. I came to reconcile those that understood that they'd fallen short. You see, the Pharisees didn't think that they fell short. They thought that they were good. Therefore, they had no dependence on God. It's the one that stands there and beats his breast and says, Forgive me, God, for I am a sinful man. That stands off at a distance. That can't stand up there close to everybody else. That feels isolated because of their sin. But they recognize who they are. And God says, Yes, that's the person I came for. You people that are self-righteous, you people that you, you think you've got it all together, you're missing the whole point. It's the person that recognizes how, fall, fall, how far he falls short. And then he acknowledges that before God and says, God, I have a dependence on you. You're the only one that can make me right. You're the only thing that is good in my life is you, Father. Therefore, I have a total dependence on you. And that's a real kind of love. I think the biggest problem is when we rely too much on ourselves and not enough on God. Uh, to, to say that we finally arrived, to think, think that, man, I finally have gotten that sin out of my life. I've, I've finally gotten this out of my life. Therefore, man, I am good now. Look at where I sit in my relationship with God. I am in a great place. That is the worst place for you to be in. The best place for you to be in is to say, man, I need to humble myself before God because look at what a wretched sinner I am. And that's exactly what we see when Paul writes, man. He just says, look, I am the chief of all sinners. He's acknowledging his total dependence on God. That's a real relationship. That's what God wants us to do. Do you really realize that what's going on in your life, whatever you're dealing with right now, the whole point is so that you rely on God? That's the whole point. You, you have trouble coming into your life, strife, difficulties, cancer, death, whatever. And it's like God's saying, rely on me. Rely on me. Quit, quit trying to, to fix it yourself. Rely on me. Rely on me. When I stand up here every Sunday morning, man, I go, God, there's snot pouring from my nose. I got tears running my eyes. God, you got to do this. I can't. There's no way. I, 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 I feel my heart pounding out of my chest because I don't know what I'm going to say before I stand up here. And I say, God, how could you change the message before I stand up here? And he goes, now you get it. 
Now you get it. You see, it's not about you. It's not about you or what you can do. It's about me and what I can do for you. What I can do through you. And I go, oh, okay. That's what this relationship's about. Now I get it. So Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. You've got to understand the context of Luke chapter 15. Jesus is talking to Pharisees because they're making fun of him because he, this is a guy that he hangs out and he even eats with sinners. I mean, he doesn't just associate with them. He goes to dinner with them. Like, that's worse, you know? To go to dinner with somebody actually meant that you uh, condone their activity, you condone their lifestyle, the way that they did things. So, so here, Jesus would even be seen with sinners in such a way that it almost appeared that he condoned their lifestyle. He can condone the things that they did. In reality, he was trying to show them how desperately they needed him. Matthew was a tax collector. He recognized how much he needed God. And he saw it through Jesus Christ, and that's why he followed him and left everything. He said, money, my job, everything. I'm leaving it behind just to follow Jesus. You know why? Because that's what I need. God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and therefore I'm going to follow him because, hey, he's the only source. He's the only place I can go to. So Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees because they're mumbling about the fact that, that Jesus is hanging around with tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And he told a story about a shepherd, right? A shepherd that, that leaves the 99 to go after the one, just like we sang today. He's telling this story, and you've got to understand one of the things that's so important about what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees is that he, the first story, he, he puts them in the place of a shepherd. Like if you were a shepherd and you lost one, wouldn't you leave 99 to go after the one? Isn't that what you would do? So the Pharisees are having to identify as a shepherd in this story, right? Do you understand that shepherds were seen like as the lowest of low in society? That they were unclean, that they hung out, uh, you know, outside uh, outside in the wilderness a lot of times and took care of the sheep and, and, and a lot of times they couldn't come into the, to the temple and worship and all this kind of stuff and, and they were physically dirty as well as spiritually dirty and, and, and the Pharisees did not like shepherds. And here we see what Jesus says. Imagine if you were a shepherd. Imagine if you were a shepherd, what would you do? So first of all, they're, they're having to imagine themselves as a shepherd. Ugh, you know? And just imagine that the Pharisees, the way they looked at shepherds, like, oh, shepherd, yeah, whatever, man. And then look what else he does. As we continue on in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, it says this. Suppose a woman. The only thing worse to a Pharisee than being a shepherd would be being a woman. And I, I say that because that's exactly the way they viewed it. Women were supposed to be beneath them, lower class citizens. They were, they were supposed to use, they were used as property, not necessarily uh, considered a mate so much. But they were just, you know what, you sit there, you be quiet, you have children, you, you set the table, you do that, okay? And that's the way that the Pharisees viewed women. That's the way the culture was in a lot of ways. So here Jesus says, imagine you're a shepherd. He said, okay, so we've told that story. And you've identified as a shepherd. You say, yeah, I would leave the 99 to go after the one because that was to make sense, right? So now Jesus goes right back in their face. He says, okay, so if you imagine being a shepherd, now imagine being a woman. Now imagine being a woman. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she shine a light, 
light and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, I like this story because this is a, a reflection of life, right? Number one, women are crazy about finding stuff. All right, they lose something, they'll tear the house apart trying to find it, right? Well, the good news is, is that women have a supernatural ability to find stuff. Am I right about that? There's something about ovaries that allows you to be able to track stuff down. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Like, what's the first thing you do, man, when, when you lose something? Hey, can you find this for me? It's like a tracking device. I don't know what it is. You know? Now, I thought about this because my wife, she's the one that told me that ovaries are a tracking device. She told me that. But let me, I thought about this too, though. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe the case is y'all just lose so much junk, you're used to finding stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe it's because y'all have more experience at finding stuff because you lose so much. That's Kenny's commentary on life. That's not anything out of the Bible. But I'm just talking about, like, that's real. Am I right? Like, maybe it's not that you're just so good at finding stuff. Maybe you're so good at finding stuff because you've had a lot of experience losing stuff. Now, some of y'all would be like at lunchtime being like, you know, I think he had a point. I was feeling him on that. The guys especially would be like, you remember what Kenny said today? They'd be like, oh, yeah, you're talking about the redemption of sinners and Jesus Christ. No, 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 I'm talking about women losing stuff. That's what I'm talking about. So you'll have a good conversation at lunch today. It says, won't she shine a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? So, so here we got, we got Jesus talking to the Pharisees again, and he, he's talking about this woman who's lost one silver coin out of ten. So she's like trying to look all over the place to find it, right? Searching out the one lost coin. And here we're talking about, once again, the sinner, the one that recognizes who he is. The one that recognizes that he has fallen short of the things of God. That he is in desperate need of God. And God is searching him out to find that person in the place that they're in. Now, a coin, a coin that has been lost amongst the others probably would have, you know, rolling under the couch somewhere. Fallen down into a crevice. And here, we, what do we see? We see the woman searching meticulously. She's pulling the couch out, man. She's, she's, she's digging around. She's sweeping. My guess is she's probably sweeping some places never been swept before, you know, like the place underneath the refrigerator. Like she's, she's sweeping and, and digging, trying to look for, for where is this coin? Because why? Why is it, is it so important that she finds this coin? Because the coin has value. The coin's valuable. See, in this day and time, this one coin probably would have been about a day's wage. And, and they didn't really ha they did a whole lot of bartering or trading around, you know. So that's how they lived in their society. They would trade their, their work maybe for this or maybe they'd trade something else they had for this. And so they didn't really have a whole lot of money per se. Money wasn't th things that they had a lot of. So if a person had money, it had been something that they really treasured. It had been something that was really important to them. It wasn't something that they could just lose and dismiss like us and losing pennies, you know. It was important to them because it was a rarity. It was a rarity. And I, I think to some degree, I think to some degree a person who recognizes the place that he's in, the, the person that recognizes that he has fallen short, a person that recognizes how much he depends on God or needs God, I believe that is a rarity. And I believe that person is like a coin that has value. 
And you've heard every evangelist you've ever heard you know, gives this example. What if, what if you take a $100 bill and crinkle it up and throw it down the floor and smash it, rub it into the dirt? And you pick it up and you're like, nobody wants this, right? And everybody would raise their hand going, yeah, I still want it. And you know why? Because it still has value. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's been crinkled up and thrown on the floor and discarded, but it's still got value. And that's the same way that God looks at us. That though we may have been run through the dirt, maybe our sin has taken us in places we never thought we would be, and we've been underneath the couch, and we've been covered in dust bunnies, and, and things are really nasty in our lives, and you hold us up, and we look, and we say, man, how could you possibly want this? And God says, because it has value, because it's still valuable to me. And I, I, I think that the problem that we have so many times in our life is that we may say that, right? We may say that, yes, a sinner has value to God. But what happens in our lives? Either one or two things happens. Either we look down on somebody else and say they're less valuable to God, they're less useful to God, they're unimportant in the kingdom of God. And you say, oh, I don't do that. I don't ever look at anybody that way. You know the number one thing people, people say to me? I don't want to tell you this because I'm afraid you'll look down on me. I don't want to tell you about this in my life because I'm afraid you're going to look at me in a different way. And I tell them, I can't do that. I know that you don't believe this, but I'm not going to. Whatever you tell me, it's okay. Because I promise you I've heard worse. I promise you I've seen worse. And I promise you if I behave that way, I'm behaving like a Pharisee who Jesus rebelled against. I cannot look at you a different way. I cannot look at you with less love or less value because you are important to God. Therefore, no matter what you say to me, you still have value. And people say that to me all the time. I don't want to tell you this because you're going to look down on me. It's like, I can't. I can't. Not, not if I'm a child of God, I can't. Maybe if I'm not a Christian, then I can look down on you. But I, I can if I'm a Christian. And that's what people say. I, I can't. I can't tell you this because you'll, you'll think of me in a different way. Not if I'm a Christian. You know that you should be able to go to your other brothers and sisters and be able to tell them and confess things to them and be able to, to lean on them and say, I need you to go to God with me on this. And they should never look at you differently. Just like you could go to your mama or your best friend and tell them something because you know you can trust them. And that's how we're all supposed to be in this family. People don't do that, right? We don't do that. We're, we're too worried about somebody's going to look down on me. Somebody's going to think something bad about me. First thing people say when they hadn't been to church in a month, they go, I'm sorry, man. I've, I've had stuff going on. I've had this. I've had that. I've been at this camp. I've been blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, you're still valuable. I still care about you. You haven't lost that value. I say, yeah, but I don't want you to think bad of me. I want you to know where I've been. It's like, it ain't about what I think. It ain't about what I think. And that's what people tell me all the time. I, I don't want you to think bad about me because I hadn't been at church. And I'm like, is that the reason you come to church? Just so I don't think bad about you? I, I hope and pray that that's not why you're here. I hope and pray that why you're here has nothing to do with me but everything to do with him. Therefore, you don't care what I think about you coming to church or not, but you really care about your relationship with him, and that's what you care most about. That is my desire, and that is my prayer, and that is my hope that you 
you would not see me and think, man, what does he think about me? You would see God and think, man, I want a deeper, closer relationship with you, a greater dependence upon you. Man, I, I, I just, I know that the world is wired in such a way that you want to be looked at in such a way. But man, that is not, that has not got anything to do with me. That's not got anything to do with me. Search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And then in the parable of the lost coin, she searches the entire house until she finds it. You got a shepherd, now a woman. And when she finds it, verse 9, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. So you may think to yourself, man, this must be a really lame town if they're coming together to have a party because somebody's lost a coin and now they found it, right? Like I said, this coin has a lot of value because it wasn't something they really had a lot of. But the bottom line here is the fact that there is rejoicing. And the whole, the whole point of what we see here. In, in, in these, these two passages that we've read already, this is the rejoicing that happens once the one is found. And that's the reason that, that the title of this, this series has now become Rejoicing in Heaven or Heaven's Rejoicing. That's the reason is because that is what happens when one lost is found. That there is rejoicing that happens. It's hard to imagine for me. That the creator of the universe, the, the one that did everything that he did and spoke all of creation into, into existence in six days would care so much about one. Especially one who is a sinner. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to show. He's trying to show in contrast to the Pharisees who are self-righteous versus ones that have a dependence on him because they know that they are not righteous. Because he's trying to express his greater, deeper, agape love, unconditional love towards them through his grace. Therefore, they need God, and they need his grace, and they need his mercy. The Pharisees had gotten into such a place where they felt like they didn't need God. That was the problem. Now, I know that we would never say that we ever get into a place where we feel like we don't need God. But let me tell you this. One thing that I often see in my own life, and I'll, I'll share this a little bit with you. Um, when, when, I, when I figure out that I've been self-righteous, you know what happens? All I have to do is look to my prayer life. If my prayer life starts to wane, if my prayer life starts to diminish in any way, then I know I've become self-righteous. You ever experienced this in your own life? I'll tell you how you know. Something really bad happens in your life, and all of a sudden you're on your face before God praying, and you find yourself praying all the time, communicating with God all the time. God, I'm in desperate need of you. God, I'm in desperate need of you. I, I need you to fix this situation in my life. I've got somebody that's dying that's really close to me. I've got somebody that, that stepped out of my life, and I really need them back, and I, I'm really missing those relationships. And all of a sudden you're really close with God in your prayer life. The time when you can find when you've gotten most self-righteous and lessen your dependence on God is when your prayer life suffers and you say, I have no need to communicate with God. You can examine your own prayer life and see if you've become self-righteous. The Pharisees now, they prayed all the time, right? They prayed all the time. You know what they did? 
They prayed in public in front of everybody else to show everybody else how righteous they were. They said very elaborate prayers and very, very fancy prayers so everybody would look at them and say, man, look how righteous that dude is. But you know what was suffering in their life, I believe? I believe wholeheartedly. Because they felt like they didn't need God was their private prayer life with God. I believe that that would probably, if you looked in the background of these guys' life, you would probably see that the only prayer that they did was a prayer that they did in public. And they didn't do enough in private because they were in a deep dependence upon God. So you in your own life. Uh, I, I said this just, just not long ago. I said, you know what? I said, um, sometimes when, when we're invited to come and pray, you know, we say, I don't really need to go down to an altar and pray. And there's nothing special about an altar. And that's true. There's nothing special about this no blood spilt here, nothing like that. But this is what I said. I said, but I guarantee you, if your brother, sister, mom, dad, if they had cancer, your child had cancer, you'd be down here at this altar in a heartbeat, praying and seeking the face of God, saying, God, I really need you. I have a real dependence upon you. I need you right now. And you would fall down on your face at this altar and just weep and cry out to God. Like, why don't we do that any other time except when we desperately need him to fix a situation in our life? Why don't we ever do that any other time? Maybe it's our dependence on God. We don't recognize our dependence on God, how much we desperately need Him. And we're missing out on His love. We're missing out on the full picture of His love. This is what God says. As He's speaking through His Son, Jesus Christ, they're one and the same. He says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. So you see the, the correlation between the two passages there. And what does it say? That there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Does that mean that the angels are rejoicing? Is that what that means? That the angels are rejoicing because one sinner repents? It says no. It says literally there is joy in the presence of God's angels. So who does that mean is rejoicing? That God is rejoicing. That there is rejoicing by God for one sinner who has, repent, who has repented. That there is this, this whole throne of God and these elders that are up there. And I don't know what you picture heaven to be like. But I think it's beyond our comprehension. I believe it's beyond our imagination. I believe John struggled to describe it when, when God took him to heaven in a vision to show us what heaven was really like. I believe he struggled to put it into human terms. And we talked about this in my little group meeting the other day. We talked about how, you know, when we were first born, God's glory is revealed to us by us looking around and seeing, uh, seeing his glorious creation and all that God has done and all that he has put here on this earth. And we look, man, we see the sky and birds and the fields and, and, and the oceans, and we're just in awe of God, right? And then what happens? Then we go through a spiritual rebirth, right? So, so we... We surrender our heart and lives to God and say, God, you own everything in my life, and I, I repent and I turn towards you. And all of a sudden, there is a rebirth that happens on a spiritual level, right? We are reborn of the Spirit, and all of a sudden, we have a new perspective on life. We're able to see things a little differently. All of a sudden, everything that we thought was beautiful was even more beautiful than that, right? Everything that we thought, even, even things that we thought were ugly, all of a sudden become beautiful once we have a spiritual rebirth. 
that all of a sudden God's creation is even more amazing and you're more in awe of who God is as a result of your spiritual rebirth. So this is what I think. So if the first glory that is revealed is you being born into this world and seeing his glory, and then you see another level of that by your spiritual rebirth, I believe that once we pass from this life to the next, once we get rid of this flesh, I believe that there'll, there'll be things that are beyond our comprehension right now. There will be an extra glory that we're able to experience that is beyond what we can experience here as human beings. It's like colors of the spectrum that we can't even see with a human eye. We'll be able to see them. All of a sudden, when we're rid of this flesh. And I believe God will reveal himself in a, in a greater glory. And, 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 and you know how, how, you, how you felt different when, when God renewed your spirit. He gave you a rebirth in your spirit. It, it won't be ten times more than that. It won't be a hundred times more than that. Or a million times more than that. It'll be infinitely more than that. As you're in the presence of God. And, and, and we're, we're looking... You know, in us here, we're, we're trying to imagine it, right? We're trying to picture it, and we're trying to say, man, it'll be great to be able to worship God in the presence of our loved ones that have passed on. It'll be great to worship God and be in the presence of God. We cannot comprehend how amazing that will be. We cannot wrap our minds around what it will be like to be in the presence of God. And that God, that God says, you know what? You know who's going to be doing the most rejoicing? It's me. When one of my little ones has a dependence on me, repents and says, God, there's nothing I can do, but it's everything that you can do. You've already done it through your son, Jesus Christ, and I trust in that. It's a greater and greater dependence on him. So my prayer today is this. That you'll recognize how much you need him. But you'll recognize how much you need God. Maybe your prayer life reflects it right now. Maybe you're not really faithful in your prayer life and maybe it's lacking in some way. I pray that God reveals that to you. I hope that it doesn't come through pain and suffering. I hope that it doesn't come through heartache and and broken families and death. And I hope that it doesn't come that way. But I hope more than anything that it comes... That God will do whatever it takes to renew your dependence on him. That he'll show you how much you need him. And if you become self-righteous and you feel like you've arrived in your relationship with God, that God will humble you and show you your great dependence upon him. My prayer today is not that you, 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 you become more righteous. It's that you recognize how unrighteous you are and how much you desperately need him in order to be able to make you righteous. That's my prayer for you today. If you're not there, if you're not there, maybe you need to come and pray that God will do whatever it takes to draw you to him. Maybe you need to come down here and, and fall down at an altar and say, God, I need you to, to take away all this pride that has separated me from you. And I, I need you, God, to humble me so that I'm more dependent upon you. Whatever the case may be, I pray that God does whatever it takes so that we humble ourselves before God that we recognize that we have value, that, that, that we embrace this next level of love that he has shown to us by his grace through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much. Lord, we, we need you. Um, there's so many times in our lives where we act like we don't need you. The reality is we need you every single day. 
And sometimes things happen in our life. There, there's, there's heartache. There's, there's death. There's, there's cancer. There's circumstances that come up. And God, all of a sudden we recognize our desperate need for you. But Lord, I pray that we would leave, live each day that way. That we would live each day with a greater and greater dependence upon you. I know that you have revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. God, and the things that we've done, God, the things that we've done to break your heart, the times when we've become self-righteous and think that we've done it all, Lord, you wash that all away. You wash that all away with the, son, with the blood of your son. So God, today, I pray that we have a greater dependence upon you. God, I pray that we've become not only recipients of your grace, but ambassadors of that grace. Lord, in that unconditional love that you poured out on us, God, I pray that we would be ambassadors of that unconditional love to everyone else. God, I know, I know that you tell us that people will recognize us by how we love. So, Lord, today, there may be people that need restoration. There may be people that need to be brought back to you. God, maybe today there are people that need to be greater ambassadors of your love. Maybe they got bitterness or things that are separating them from other people. God, whatever the case may be, Lord, I just pray that today you might restore them. God, and I pray that ultimately their hope would rely on one day being in your presence and you revealing yourself to us in a glory that we cannot comprehend with our own feeble minds right now. God, I pray that that's the hope we embrace today. God, may we be more dependent on you today than we ever have been. And may you receive glory and honor from us being recipients of your unconditional love. God, thank you, Lord, for restoring us, for drawing us to you. May you be glorified now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.